0: Hopefully, you found the notes on the table. We've made it to John chapter 7. Um, I'm only going to cover 31 verses. I cut short uh, because in the next section, there's some things in there that I get all excited about. And so uh, I need to focus on this first part. So that's just a little prelude you don't want to miss next week. I'm pretty sure it's going to be fun. Uh, But this week, we're going to go through verses uh, 1 through 31, and it, again, is very fascinating. And there is, I'm going to go ahead and preface it with this. There's a statement in this passage that bothered me from early on in my walk with the Lord. Um, And even in the ministry, even after going to school and stuff, and I just went, this This statement and this thing that happened is problematic. Um, Unless you read everything in context, you do a little bit of digging, Um, but for those that don't and will read this verse uh, through selected versions and not look at other versions and try to dig into what the original text probably did say, they'll use this as an opportunity to say, well, Yeshua lied. Exactly. Some eyebrows went up, and it can look like that. It's not gonna look like it in the version in your notes, but we will deal with it. So, let's move forward. So let's cover these first two verses first in John chapter seven. It says, and after this Yeshua was walking in Galilee, for he did not wish to walk in Yehuda, or in Judea, because the Yehudim were seeking to kill him. And the festival of the Yehudim was near the festival of booths. So this uh, festival of booths, or it's also called uh, Sukkot, uh, or tabernacles. Now this one happens in the fall, but in just the previous chapter, chapter six, verse four, it says, and the Passover was near the festival of the Yehudim. Uh, the festival of the Jews, <clears throat> and this is saying. So then, after this, he was walking in Galilee, uh, and that in verse two it says, and this was during the time of festival of booths. Well, you just you should know <clears throat> that Passover happens in the spring; it's coming. Uh, we will have a, a Passover meal here, and we really want you to come and participate in that with us, and invite your friends to come. Sukkot happens in the fall. So there's six months in between these two events. And let me just say this, that this is one of these areas uh, in the book of John here where you can see where John doesn't seem to be overly concerned with the chronological order of things and keeping things tight. So there's six months that's passed in here when he's dealing with this and talking about this. And the real clue to this is found in John chapter 20 where he goes, look, all of this has been written so that you will know that Yeshua is the Messiah. If all the books in the world were fill up everything that he did, the books couldn't couldn't hold it. But he says, but these things have been written so that you would know that he really is the Messiah. (laughs) So John is writing this gospel account directed by the Holy Spirit for a major reason, to prove that Yeshua is the Messiah and also to point out this um, conflict between Yeshua and what we're calling the or the the religious leaders in Jerusalem and they're following their their rules, their laws, which the Hebrew word is called halakha. It's how they walk out the faith, but they turn that into a law, meaning when the rabbis say it, that's what you do. You don't question it. That's what you do. They rule. And when they say, this is how you do it, this is what you do. So um, what's interesting is, I don't know if you're totally familiar with this or not, but the, the Feast of um, Booths or Sukkot is also recalled referred to as the Feast of Ingathering. Yeah. It's the Feast of Ingathering because it's a celebration of the harvest. Are some of y'all already are the dots already connecting? Because it happens at the end. Uh, it is actually the most celebratory feast of in the Bible, I almost said of the Jewish faith, uh, of the biblical feasts. Uh, It was great celebration, and as you know, people, the really devout, uh, uh, will literally live in their temporary uh, shelter made out of natural limbs and stuff to remind them of God taking care of them in the wilderness, um, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, But it is extremely, it is an extremely happy time. And they are to come and celebrate this and um, it's just, it's just a great time. But it also is called in gathering and around the harvest and it's in preparation or it's the end of all the feasts. It's the last one. We're headed to the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. The the great celebration. Um, And this great in-gathering of all of God's people where he's whistling and will continue to whistle and call out his people to follow him. Uh, Really fascinating. So this is happening during this time of the festival of booths or Sukkot or in-gathering. It can be called any of those names. Let's go on here because in verse three it says, so his brothers said to him, get away from here and go into Judea, go into Yehuda, so that your taught ones, your disciples, also see the works that you're doing, for no one acts in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these works, show yourself to the world. have to. I've got mine highlighted. You might want to highlight in that in your notes. Let me continue on. It says, for even his brothers did not believe in him. So this is where it's real important we slow down when we read the word of God and pay attention to all the details. So his brothers say to him, you know, you need to leave here. He's in Galilee. You need to leave here. You need to go down into Judea, go down into Jerusalem. It's the time of the Boots, Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths or Sukkot is one of the three pilgrimage festivals. So in other words, everybody that's devout in all of Israel, all of Israel is going to be in Jerusalem, especially the leaders of the household, because they're commanded by God to do this. Matter of fact, and I know I've been over this before, but in the millennial kingdom, this will be a global rule, if you know that or not. But during the millennial reign, while Jesus is reigning and ruling on the earth for a thousand years, it says that if the males, if the people of the world do not travel to Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles, that God, Jesus on the earth, will withhold rain from their land the following year. That will happen for a thousand years. So this festival is important, right? Well this is when it's happening, and so his brothers go, perfect. You know what Jesus, you know what Yeshua, you know what you need to do? You need to get out of here, you need to go to Jerusalem, you need to show yourself, because everybody's gonna be there, you need to do it publicly, and show yourself to the world. Then it says they don't believe in him. So if they don't believe in him, why are they telling him to do that? Two things. I think one, in a sense, they're almost mocking him. And they're also thinking worldly. Now, if we back up, Yeshua's already had a large following, right? Y'all don't go to sleep on me if I ask a question, make a noise, nod your head, something. He's already had a large following, right? And this is getting all around. We're going to get into it a little bit when he does show up, and everybody's like, well, where is he? I mean, everybody, everybody knew about Yeshua by this time. So what else could his brothers maybe be thinking? Money, maybe? I mean, he's got a following. They don't believe in him. Go show yourself to the world. Hey, let's do this thing. Whatever it is, but let's go do this thing, right? Um, So we have to, and I know that's technically called eisegeti. I mean, kind of trying to read something into the text that we are not told, but we've got to try to figure out, well, why would they say that if we're told that they don't believe in him? there's only a few options, right? If they don't believe in him, but they're telling him to go and do these things, then either they're trying to ride on his coattails or they're just mocking him and teasing him or whatever, but I think they were serious, you should go do this, even though we don't believe in you, right? But he does have a following, so his shtick, according to them, must be working to some degree, right? I mean, that's got to be what they're thinking, and if they're really wanting him to do that, they are his brother, or brothers, they're, they're his brothers, and I don't know, maybe we'll get a, a seat at the table, so to speak. Um, let's continue on here, because then now Yeshua is going to say something pretty fascinating In verse six, he says, Yeshua therefore said to them, my time has not yet come. But your time's always ready. That's telling. It is impossible for the world to hate you, but it hates me because I bear witness of it, that its works are wicked. You go up to the festival. Now here's the verse. I'm not going yet I am not yet going up to this festival for my time has not yet been fulfilled. And having said this to them, he stayed in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up to the festival, then he also went up, not openly, but as it were, in secret. So this is the verse, verse 8, that uh, I've always had trouble with. But before I get into that, I've got a number of verses I want you to pay attention to. Because at the beginning... Yeshua says to him, he goes, look, my time's not yet come. Your time's always ready. Meaning it's your time to do whatever it is you're scheming that has nothing to do with the Father's will and the Father's understanding of time and what should happen at what time it should happen. Your time, you're just always ready to do whatever it is you're ready to do regardless of the consequences, That sound familiar? We're always kind of ready to do whatever it is we're ready to do whenever we're ready to do it. You know, and then later we're trying to clean up the mess. And he's saying, look, you're you're ready to do whatever, uh, but this is not, my time hasn't come yet. This is a profound statement. And it's actually in the book of John fairly often. You need to jot some of these down. Some of them are actually in this chapter, but there's a couple that are not. Um, John chapter two, verse four, we see it again, uh, where Yeshua said to her, the woman, woman, uh, what is that to me and to you? My hour has not yet come. This is when he does the miracle at the wedding in Cana, where he turns the water into wine. Uh, and, it, and he says, what are you doing? What does this have to do with you or me? My time's not yet come. Uh, in this chapter, in six, it's where Yeshua says to him, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. In verse eight, we're going to see it again. Uh, you go up to this festival. I'm not yet going up to this festival for my time has not yet been fulfilled. He's really stressing this. And he's going to say it again in verse 30. So they were seeking to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. We're going to see it again in chapter 8, verse 20. (laughs) These words, Yeshua spoke in the treasury, teaching in the set-apart place, and no one laid hands on Him because His hour had not yet come. Now, you need to compare this, though. Here's some more verses for you. Hopefully, you're writing these down. To compare this with His hour not yet coming... John chapter 17, and these again are found in John. John 17, 1, Yeshua said these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify or esteem your son so that your son might also glorify you. In John chapter 12, verse 23, it says, And Yeshua answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In John 13, 1. And before the festival of the Passover, Yeshua, knowing that his hour had come, that he should move out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So I'm stressing this because what we need to understand is that Yeshua, along with the Father, orchestrated everything so that he would end up on the cross at the exact hour he was supposed to. Which means what? He is in control. He was in control and he is today in control of everything. Everything. Even when it looks like the world is spinning out of control, you need to understand this chaos God totally understands it, spoken about it beforehand. He's got it all under control. Nothing is going to slip by His notice, not even one person. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> so his whole thing is, look, your time is any time. You'll shoot off from the hip at whatever. I'm on mission. And everything I'm saying and doing has a reason. Down to the smallest detail. And it's not my time yet. I think he also, he knew their hearts. And John is telling us here, obviously after the fact, now they did come into faith afterwards. That's a whole nother sermon. Um, So John is writing this after the fact. and He's like, when this happened, they didn't believe in him. And Yeshua's response is, well, whatever, I'm not going. So then that's, that's the verse that for me was always troubling. Because if, you'll, uh, if you've got another Bible there that's not the Scriptures, maybe you've got the ESV, I think it's even this way in the New American Standard. The ESV has it this way. You go up to the feast, I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. So Yeshua says in some of your translations, I ain't going, and then he goes. So early on in my walk, I just used to look at this and go, he said he wasn't going, then he went. Anybody here other than me have a problem with that? It's like, that's problematic, right? I... uh, I didn't have an answer early on. In reading, and as a matter of fact, if you have an ESV, and especially if it's electronic, uh, next to the word yet, uh, at least in my electronic version, there's a number three right above the word yet. And when you click on that, this is pretty much what it'll say is that most manuscripts do not include the word yet because it's a difficult reading. Or it might say some manuscripts add <coughs> the word yet. <coughs> in my reading on this, it said that most manuscripts didn't have the word yet because it's, uh, it is a difficult somewhat reading. But however, in the original, it seemed like that the word yet was actually there. Um, if it's not in the original, then did Yeshua lie about going to the feast? This, these are just my notes I was jotting down. It says, early in my walk in faith and even in the ministry, this verse gave me problems. Then this is what I said. Would I doubt my Savior based on this text or should I trust Him above what is written? I chose to trust Him more than a text. So when I saw this, I was, it, early on I went, okay, Yeshua, he's God, and he's not going to lie. I'm not reading this in the original version. Uh, I'm reading it in an English translation, and it looks like he lied. But Yeshua wouldn't lie because he's God. He's just not going to do it. So I didn't even have an answer early on. I just looked at it and went, well, something's wrong, but it's not with my Savior. That's the only way I knew how to deal with it back then. Now more and more documents have come out and everything and they're finding even early Greek manuscripts with the word yet in there. And what's even crazier is that they're now coming out with more and more proof that the originals were not written in Greek. How about that? That the originals really were written in Hebrew. And when I first went to school, I went to Criswell College, and I loved being there. They gave me a really firm foundation. And when I went there, I had some expectations of what I was going to learn. I didn't, those expectations really weren't met to some degree. And this was one of them, because I'm sitting there listening to guys that are brilliant. I mean, brilliant. And I'm sitting there going, okay, so Yeshua was Hebrew, All the disciples were Hebrew, and almost all of the early believers at the very beginning were Hebrew, and you're telling me they wrote it in Greek because that was the prominent language of the world, and I'm sitting there going, well, English is the prominent language of the world, but uh, if you go to Israel, they're speaking Hebrew, they can speak English, Uh, You go to Germany, they can speak English. Everybody wants to speak English, but they speak German. That's kind of the way it is around the world that you speak your native tongue. I mean, even Hispanics that come up here legally and all that fun stuff or illegally or whatever, and they've been here a few generations, a lot of them still speak Spanish or will speak it a lot. Uh, and I do know some that that don't. They say a lot of times the third generation can't speak Spanish, and I've had that happen. They say, "Well, I can speak it kind of, but I can't read it," and I find that disappointing. I even said, it, "That's a shame." They're like, "What are you talking about?" I said, "Well, that's your heritage for crying out loud. Why would you not?" Oh, I don't. I'm I'm an American. I'm like, "Well, so am I," but. For crying out loud, if you could learn a diff- another language for free <laughs> at home where it's easy, why wouldn't you want to do that? And I said, plus it's your hair. Anyhow, I used to see this and think, well, that's problematic. I, I'm, I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around that. <clears throat> well, now I'm 62, and I'm finding out there's more and more and more documents coming out proving that these early gospel accounts were most likely written in Hebrew, which makes sense, doesn't it? Um, it just makes sense. If you've got to translate it from one language to another, which we already know that you lose some, why would, these, why would John even try to quote Old Testament quotes and stuff and then try to do it translating it, the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek, so that it could be understandable when he's writing it to a Hebrew nation and say, this is what it says. Right? It doesn't even just make more logical sense. <clears throat> Anyways, what I'm getting at is <clears throat> this verse gave me a problem. And I struggled. I literally struggled with it. I went, how do I how do I handle that? The only way I knew how to handle it was. I'm not gonna give up on the fact that Jesus, Yeshua, is God. He doesn't make mistakes. He's not wrong. He wouldn't lie. He's not confused. So I'm gonna trust him and I'm gonna trust that this situation that I'm reading that I don't understand that what he did was right. And I simply said, I can't believe that he lied, but I don't have an answer. That's my personal testimony on this text. Now, knowing what I know, it's a lot easier to actually answer. And this is another reason why I'm thankful for the Scriptures version where they actually put it in here and say, he said, I'm not going yet. Your time's always right. I'm not going yet. And then later he does go. Let's continue on. Uh, In verse 11, it says, the Eudem, the Jews, therefore were seeking him at the festival and said, where is he? So were his brothers right? Yeah. The Jews that are there are going, man, we expected him here. Can you imagine? All this has been going on all over the country. He's up in the Galilee. Uh, He's feeding uh, over 10,000 with the sack lunch. We went over that. Then he makes these unbelievable statements, runs everybody off. They're like, this guy's crazy. And they're going, hey, Tabernacles we all got to be there. The religious leaders are going to be there. This is going to be good right and, and and can you imagine the the buzz of the day and like you know, if you haven't ever been to a Sukkot, this is the one you really want to go. Come on, babe, let's, we, we, we're going to go make this one. This is going to be good, right? Can you imagine? And so they're there, and that's the buzz. Where is he? Well, he's got to show up, right? <clears throat> and then look at this in verse 12. It says, and there was much grumbling about him among the crowd. So this isn't just one or two. There was a buzz in town, and the town was packed and they're looking for him. Some were saying he's good, but others were saying, no, he's leading the crowd astray. However, no one spoke openly about him for fear of the Yehudim. Now then, is that talking about just the Jews in general or the the iudioi? It's talking about the religious leaders. They were afraid of them. And so here's the debate among everybody that's looking for him in the buzz. Some are saying he's a good man. Others are saying, no, he's doing what? He's leading the people astray. This is Yeshua, right? Here's where you have to read into it again a little bit. I'm trying to help us read this in context. So astray from what? Yeshua has never taught them anything contrary to the Torah. But if people are saying he's leading them astray, then astray from what? The what? The, 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 uh, the rabbinical religion, the rabbinical rules that they said this is what you have to do for this to be proper. <clears throat> And they're upset about that. Even though he's never taught anything contrary to the actual word of God. Fascinating. So let's go into verse 14. It says, In about the middle of the festival, because the festival lasts technically eight days, but it's, it's a week long. So he goes up to the set-apart place, the holy place, the, the, the temple, and he starts teaching there. And the Yehudim, the Jews, were marveling, saying, how does this man know letters not having learned? And Yeshua answered them and said, my teaching is not mine but he who sent me. I'm going to stop there for a second Uh, because it's real important to look at this for a second. So in some versions, um, it'll say, how does this man know learning having not learned or been taught? So here's in the scriptures version, it says, how does this man know letters when he hasn't been taught. And what they're saying is, how does Yeshua know how to read, not only know how to read, but how does he know all the letters and how does he understand the nuances of the scriptures when he hasn't been to a rabbinical school? That's what they were marveling at. They were like, hold on a minute, this is not quite adding up. This man is teaching with extreme accuracy. And how is he able to do that not having been taught formally? Who is saying that? The same people that were grumbling about Saying Some were saying he's good and some were saying no. He's leading the people astray. Astray from what? Astray from their set, traditional, religious activities. Out of their norm. Um, And so these are the ones that are saying, hold on a minute. How does this man doing this when he hasn't gone through our system? are through the system. How is that possible? But then Yeshua answers them with this powerful statement. Now he's going to start to really nail something down. He goes, my teaching's not mine, but it's, it's him who sent me. They are comparing Yeshua to the rabbis and their system. Yeshua is saying you need to be looking to the father and not to the rabbis. Do you know rabbi technically means a great one, teacher and great one? That's why Yeshua says, call no man rabbi. You have one rabbi, your father. You have one great one, your father. Um, which is, and I won't... I almost went into another. You can just let that one germinate. Um, So they're comparing him to the rabbis and talking about his teaching, and he's outside the system, and how is he able to do that? And Yeshua says, it's not my teaching. What I'm telling you is from the Father. You're making this comparison. I'm trying to get you to pass that to see the Father. And the only way you're going to see the Father is through me, But then therein lies the problem. Um, Then look at what he says. This is huge. If anyone desires to do his desire, whose desire? Correct, the Father. So if your desire is to do his desire, he will know concerning the teaching what I'm talking about whether it's really from God or whether I'm speaking from myself. There's only one way to know if what Yeshua is saying and teaching, if it's truly from the Father or not. And it's not totally based on facts. It's based on if you have a desire to do the Father's will over anything else. That's huge, folks, because you see, people that really don't want to do the Father's will really don't even care about facts. What facts are they looking at? Their own facts. Watch this. Their truth. Does that sound familiar? You got your truth. I got my truth. Somewhere the real truth is in between all that, and maybe that is the truth, that it's in between all that, and, you know, but this is what I'm going to go with, and you go with what you want to go with, and, hey, everything's going to be fine. No, it's not. That's how humanity operates. That's how self-centered humanity operates, and God goes, no, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's one way to the Father, and it's through me. And here's the deal, everybody that comes to me came from the Father, was given to me by the Father. If you really wanna know what's going on, it's only those that truly desire to do the Father's will that will understand that what I'm saying is not of my own accord. It's not trying to float my own boat. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm not doing any of that. I'm doing the Father's will, period. But the only ones that are going to get it are the ones that really want to do God's will, truly want to do God's will. Folks, here again is this uh, tension God gives us free will, but he also has to help us exercise our faith because we're so stubborn. We're enemies of God, and the only way he can bring us back into fellowship with him is he's got to give us the faith to operate. And at the same time, he's like, but the only ones that are going to get it are the ones that truly love me and want to do the Father's will. Therefore, those that have a brain to think with should go, well, I've been thinking that Yeshua was doing his own thing. That should be the signal to tell you you've got a problem. That is the symptom of the problem. Well, you know, Yeshua lied, and that's what it says in the Greek, and a lot of them, and... Uh, you know, it's okay. I've literally read some places in Scripture where there were some sections where Yeshua is talking a certain way to the rabbis. This is in Christian commentaries and saying, well, he was being really sarcastic to them. The only way they knew how to deal with it. Um, folks, those are symptomatic. Those are symptoms of a bigger problem. Our problem is we refuse to look at the symptoms and then deal with it. We'd rather take a spiritual medicine that will simply give us another symptom to hide that symptom, which is what modern medicine typically does. Um, years ago, went in, you know, cholesterol was kind of high. Doctor wanted to put me, put me on stuff. I said I'm not taking that trash. He <laughs> looked at me and said, "What?" And I said. Well, doesn't that mess up my liver? Isn't that how you're going to get my cholesterol to go down? Yeah, 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 but we'll check your liver. We'll check that regularly. I said, exactly, because you're poisoning my liver, right? You want me to take a chemical that's going to shut down my liver to get the numbers down so that you'll feel better about it? He goes, well, you want heart trouble or liver trouble? And I said, well, if I have heart trouble, I'm not doing it on purpose, so I'm not taking your junk. He just laughed and went, Okay. I said, well, I'm not going to do it. I said, that's dumb. We'll, we'll watch your liver. I said, I'll watch it fine myself. I said, that doesn't even make any sense. So to this day, when I go to the doctor and they tell me that, you know, you're going to take this, you're going to do this. I'm like, oh, that's fine. What is it really doing? Is it just hiding a symptom or is it actually curing? You know, when they say, oh, we can fix that, and then they give you something, you're like, okay, is that fixing it? Or is it giving me another symptom with more side effects, and I'm gonna, and then I, you end up in the cycle, right? Do you know that people do that spiritually? We'll read something and go, "You know, it's not, not adding up." And then we'll find some answer that we can kind of go, "Well, okay, and then we go on and it just keeps this dumb cycle instead of reading it for what it simply says. Amen? Trusting the word of God and desiring to do his will above what I think I understand. Folks, that's why if you see some things happening, even here, that don't line up with scripture, you need to come tell me. How dare you call yourself a part of this fellowship and you see something happening that you think isn't scriptural and you don't come and ask me about it? I might not notice it or you might be wrong, or I might be wrong, right? We need to all be seeking to do God's will, right? But that seldom happens. If you see something happening in a fellowship that you know is wrong, whether it's here or any other place, then you need to deal with that. And let me go ahead and just, this is another, it is a pet peeve I've got. I know I've said it before. You realize that pride has no place in the kingdom? That God hates it? So if there's some TV preacher or whoever, who I don't care who it is, and they've got pride, then is that of God? Then should we even be supporting that? Folks, I'm going to tell you, that is one of my telltale signs that throws up this red flag for me, and I go, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm also 62. I'll be 63 in May. I've been around the block a few times. I've been burned. I've been to court. I've been lied to. I mean, I could go on and on, and what I've seen, people said, you should write a book, and I'm like, nobody needs to read that garbage. This is stuff that happened in the ministry. Are you kidding me? I've seen some bad stuff. Bad stuff. <clears throat> when I see pride, I don't I don't deal well with it. There are some things that you should that should literally trigger you and you go, okay, well that that should tell me something. Okay, I'm done. Uh, I, I don't I don't deal well with it. <clears throat> um, well, this goes back to uh, having a desire to do the Father's will. That should be the governing factor in everybody in this room. It should govern the way you read your Bible. It should govern the way you live your life. It should govern how you interpret scripture. It should, watch this. Doing the Father's will should govern how you live out your faith. A lot of elves are going, yeah. You need to think about the ramifications of that statement, though. Doing your Father's will should govern how you live out your faith. Because we are a light into the world and reflecting the very image of God. Therefore, we should want to live in a righteous, godly, biblical way. And when we don't, it should grieve our heart. And that there shouldn't be any of us in here pursuing our own agenda. And what's really sad, it's Christians that most businesses hate dealing with. I've had people tell me, even here recently, knowing that I'm a pastor saying, please don't take this personal, but some of the worst customers we have are, oh, I'm a Christian, and come in there and abuse their system. And I, I said, well, I'm, once again, I'm sorry to hear that. I hear it all the time. All the time. Why is that? Because, hey, we're all after our own thing. Tell me we don't have a systemic problem within the fellowship. So he says, if anyone desires to do his will, he shall know concerning the teacher whether it is from God or whether I'm speaking of myself. Then he goes, he who speaks from himself is seeking his own glory. <laughs> That's the way it always adds up, right? Proudful people, self-seeking people, Self-centered people, when they are speaking, they're what? They're really after their own stuff. They're doing their own shtick. They're doing whatever is selling and working. But he who who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. What is he really saying? Listen, I'm here to seek the glory of God the Father, and I can tell you that there's no unrighteousness in me. That's what he's saying. I came from the Father. Here's an easy way where you can figure all this out. The one that truly wants to know the Father and do the Father's will, he's the one that's going to receive my teachings and he knows that it's true. Why is that? Because they are so steeped in following what the rabbis say, no matter if it contradicts Scripture or not. Now, The Christian church does the same thing. So before you're too quick to point fingers at the quote-unquote Jews, you need to understand that Christians, Catholics, Protestants all do this. Um, But the rabbis took it to the point of saying that, that even if the written word of God, the Torah, contradicts what they say, what they say takes precedent over the very written word of God. It actually gets a little worse than that, but I'll leave it at that. Because they took one verse out of the Old Testament and ran with it and ran it into the mud, and it once again was taken out of context. Imagine that. But what uh, he's saying is, if you desire to seek God more than your rabbi, then you're going to get it. If you want to seek God and to do the will of God over your traditions, then you'll get it. If you want to seek God over your own comfort, then you'll get it. If you want to seek God even over the fame and goodwill of other people, then you'll get it. But if you assimilate and if you cave to the outside pressure, you won't get it. Why? because now you're self-centered. It's what that all boils down to. You're either looking out after your own backside or you're looking out after God. There's there's only two options here. And if you're hanging on just the words of the rabbi and the traditions and the comfort and can we just keep rocking along because I got my system where I'm comfortable, well then you're after you. Or are you after God? but here's the deal. If you seek to follow closer and closer after God, the closer you get to him, the closer you're going to get to the light. And the closer you get to the light, the more you see your stuff. I'm at the age where there's no hair on my head, but it grows out my ears. What is up with that? Right? Guys, you're like... God, I don't understand, but the only way I can see that stuff, so I don't come in here looking like, you know, Sasquatch or something, is I got to get in the bathroom with the real bright lights, I got to put on different glasses, and I'm like, I'm going to pull that stuff out because that's ridiculous. Can anybody here other than me relate? You got to get into the light to be able to see it. Did you know that's why a lot of restaurants don't have real bright light? (laughs) <laughs> Got to get the ambiance, but it sure looks different in the daylight when all the lights are on and they're doing some cleaning. Am I right or am I right? I mean, I'm right. <laughs> uh, years and years ago, I went for two weeks into San Francisco uh, to work on a restaurant with my brother, a high-end steak restaurant right on the water. And so we had to work in off hours, like from midnight until opening the next morning and uh, literally all the lights would come on and we're like, and they pay what for a stake in this place? (laughs) Had to pull the cushions and when we redid the whole place and pulled the cushions out, I pulled, I'm off track, but I pulled the cushions off and I kid you not, there was a dead rat in that cushion that had already dried out. It had been in there for a while And I'm sitting there going, there was some dude sitting here schmoozing his girlfriend, dropping a few hundred bucks on a meal here, sitting on a dead rat. (laughs) You can't see that stuff, though, until the light is on it and you clear away the stuff. The closer you get to God, the more you see your rats. The more you see those hairs that aren't supposed to be there, the more you see the moles, the more you see the junk, and even the small stuff starts to stick out. The closer you get to the light, the more it's shining on all the imperfections. So the closer you get to him, I'm telling you, the more humble you get. You cannot get close to God and be prideful. It can, it does not work. It is impossible. Because the closer you get to his holiness, the more you realize how bad you are. Even the small stuff in your heart looks massive because he's holy. And you're thinking, "Oh, so I'm here because you called me? Did you see this? <laughs> That's ugly. Really? There is no place for pride. So God's Yeshua is saying, man, if you desire to do his will, you're going to get it. You're going to know what my teaching's really from. And it's not from me. It's from the Father. But if you're really seeking after the rabbis, then you're simply not going to get it. This is the comparison that he's really trying to tell these people. So here he says <clears throat> in verse 19, did not Moses give you the Torah? yet not one of you does the Torah. Why are you seeking to kill me? He says, Moses gave you the Torah. They hold that up in high esteem, although the rabbis are even over Moses because what Moses wrote, inspired by God, if the rabbis write something in contradiction, they go with what the rabbis say instead of that. And he goes, yet none of you, y'all don't even do the Torah. Why, Why are you seeking to kill me? And then the crowd answered and said, Man, you got a demon. Who's trying to kill you? Right? Yeshua answered them and said, I did one work and you all marvel. Now he's going to tell us what it was. Because everybody's really hinging on this thing. When he healed the man on the Sabbath, and everybody's in an uproar because he healed a man on the Sabbath, and this is fascinating. He said, because Moses, because of this, because of what? Because of the miracle he did. It's not because of this that Moses did something. He says, I did one work and all of you marvel. Because of this, I think there should have been a comma. Because of this, comma, Moses has given you circumcision, though not from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the Torah of Moses shouldn't be broken, are you wroth with me or angry with me because I made a man entirely well on the Sabbath? Don't judge according to appearance. Judge according with right judgment. Don't judge according to appearance. What is that reminding you of? What I just got through describing. People more concerned about appearance. Look, I understand, but can you just get in step this is what we're all doing. You know, this is what this is what all believers do. Just can you just not rock the boat? Um <clears throat> And it always rocks the boat, what? Over really maybe two things, right? Every single time. You don't eat pork. No? What'd you do? Go Jewish? Right? right? Uh, what do you mean you don't do Christmas? Are you, are you Jewish? Man, everybody goes nuts. But if you were to tell everybody, look, <clears throat> we keep all the biblical feasts, they'd go, well, oh, that's pretty cool. What are they? And you start describing it to them, tell them all about it and how they can learn all this stuff. Oh, that's great. Oh, but we don't do Christmas. What? What's wrong with you? Right? And freak out. In other words, we could do all the biblical feasts, but if we still did all the church traditions, then we're okay. But if you, if you drop some of them, then everybody's offended. Why? Well, they really don't care if you follow Scripture, just don't go against our traditions because then you're telling me I'm wrong. Yeshua is saying, don't judge according to appearance. Judge with right judgment, righteous judgment. And what would that possibly be? How would you and I as frail, fragile, sinful human beings ever understand what righteous judgment is? Well, it's got to be according to the manual, not according to our feelings. (laughs) It's got to come from the manual. It can't come from my feelings. I feel different today than I did a couple of days ago. Anybody here feel different today than maybe you did four hours ago? Or one day ago? Anybody here have a bad day this week? Nobody had a bad day this week? I'm looking for honesty this morning, this evening. Did you have a bad day this week? I mean, would we wanna make judgments of eternal consequence when we're having a bad day? Have you ever had a bad day and you said something you shouldn't have said? Nah, nobody in here would ever do that, right? Uh, so he says, we're not to judge according to appearance, but we're to judge according to righteous judgment. Well, the only thing that we know is righteous is Yeshua and God and his word, amen? So it needs to follow the word of God. That's the only way, that's, that's the only rule we have, It's the only standard we have that we know is true, that it's not off kilter. So then, therefore, some of those in, in Jerusalem, and this is in verse 25, said, Is this not the man whom they're seeking to kill? Is this not he of whom they are seeking to kill? Well, the crowd answered back in verse 20, who's trying to kill you? Oh, you must have a demon. Can you see how when you really don't care about doing the Father's will, you can't even be intellectually consistent, not even with yourself? I've always said, I don't mind debating and having a conversation with anybody about anything if they will agree to be intellectually honest and consistent. But you know what? It is rare to find that person. It is rare to find somebody that wants to be intellectually honest and consistent so that, let's say, the two of us can debate and find out what real truth is. Nobody really wants that, especially on Facebook. Everybody just wants to prove that what they already believe is right and that you're wrong and you're an idiot. And then they'll do it publicly so they can try to publicly shame you on social media uh <clears throat> folks um I, I can't get off track um there's some stuff coming that you need to be very concerned about um and uh, it's it's even tied to facial recognition and ai um and the liberal wackos we've got in politics um trouble's coming and it will be bad. Um, so you, you need to know your Bible. Let me just leave it at that. The, the, these same people are like, isn't this the one they're trying to kill? <laughs> and see, he speaks boldly. And they say none. They don't, they're not saying anything to him. So they know who it is. They know who it is. They know that Yeshua's talking there in the temple, and he's talking boldly. They're like, well, isn't isn't this the one they're trying to kill? And he's talking, and they're not saying anything. They're trying to connect some dots. Watch this. Could it be that the rulers truly know that this is truly the Messiah? Now they're speculating. They're not saying anything because maybe they really think he's the Messiah. Now here's what you need to pick up on. What are they most concerned about? They're not even so concerned if he truly is the Messiah. They're concerned on, the, on Yeshua getting the stamp of approval from the religious leaders. If, they could, if he could get the stamp of approval from the religious leaders, then they would go with it. Then they would go with him and say he truly is the Messiah. But if he can't get their stamp, then I don't think I'm going to go with him. Once again, they're making the comparison. You see that? And he's trying to get them, you need to get past that teaching of men, you need to get back to the Father. Look at this, verse 27. And then they go, but we know where he's from. And when Messiah comes, no one knows where he's from. need to stop there for a second. <clears throat> Let me just read to you some notes I wrote down on this. Notice that these people are not totally ignorant when it comes to the Scriptures. They're not totally ignorant. They know it and they're looking for the coming of the Messiah. Even though they are discussing the fine details, you need to pay attention to this, even though they are discussing the fine details of the Torah and the prophecies about the Messiah, Yeshua just leveled the accusation that none of them actually keep the Torah. Why and how is this possible when they are so consumed with studying of and debating about the Torah. They were grumbling about it. They're talking about it. He said, you're not even really keeping the Torah. They're not totally ignorant about it. So how is this possible that this could happen? Answer. I've already been talking about it. Taking the teachings of men over the written text of Moses. This is the main reason they believed that they would not know where the Messiah would come from, because that's what the sages, rabbis, thought and taught. It's not really said that in Scripture, but they started teaching that they wouldn't know where he would come from, all this, all this stuff. The most profound warning in the Torah is do not add to or take away from this Torah yet this is exactly what they were doing and what most do today and it's the underlying reason people <clears throat> cannot comprehend excuse me cannot comprehend what their bible actually says it just says what it says read it in context and trust yeshua i'm going to leave that there <clears throat> but look what yeshua says in verse 28 yeshua cried therefore in the set apart place in the temple teaching and saying, you both know me and you know where I'm from. He's challenging them. This is a rebuttal of their comment. <laughs> um, th- This is basically Yeshua giving them a rebuttal, this comment that you're not gonna know where the Messiah is from. So what does he say? You know me. You know where I'm from. <clears throat> and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true. true watch this. Whom you don't know. These are people that did understand their Bible according to the rabbis. I have to put that caveat on there. They really understood their Bible according to the way the rabbis taught it. And the rabbis were teaching, we're not gonna know where the Messiah comes from and it's gonna be this mysterious thing, blah, 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 blah. And Yeshua's like, I'm right here. Uh, anyways, um, <clears throat> he's really challenging them. And he's saying, and here's the biggest problem. You know what the rabbis say? You know what the rabbis say about the Torah? You spend a lot of time dealing with the rabbis, debating with each other what the, which rabbi is right and which rabbi is wrong. <clears throat> uh, and yet you don't know the father. Verse 29, he says, but I know him because I'm from him and he sent me. Let me bring out one other thing that I didn't cover just a few minutes ago and I'll close. (coughs) When he's talking about uh, circumcision, he said, look, this is what came down from the fathers and they made these rulings because it wasn't stipulated real clearly, but they made these rulings and so a male... Is supposed to be circumcised on the eighth day. But what happens if on the eighth day it's a Sabbath for you? Is it okay to go ahead and do the circumcision on the eighth day? And the rabbis basically said yes, because that took precedent. But at the time Yeshua is here in, in Israel... The Jewish people had, a and I'm going to say it this way because the other word I would use might not sit right with us, they had a lot of different denominations that had their own take on the Torah and how to apply it. You had the Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, uh, you had the Qumran community, you had all these other different groups. <clears throat> Some groups were so legalistic, and this hit home for me when I was reading it because we had more rams this week. We had more babies, and I didn't get to help this time. Hallelujah, she did fine. But there are some, there were some, uh, I'll say denomination in Israel, that were so strict about the Sabbath that they literally said, if your own sheep, cattle, goats, whatever, your own animals were giving birth on the Sabbath, you could not help that animal. Because that was seen as increasing your produce, increasing your profit. So you couldn't do that work on the Sabbath. Then there were others that would say, oh, yeah, you could. I mean, anything for the life is good. So in other words, if you get sick on the Sabbath, you need to go to the doctor and pay the doctor. It's okay, (laughs) right? Um, Yeshua is pointing that out to them. You guys debate over these kind of nuances, and there's this kind of problem going on between those of you in Jerusalem and those that are in the Qumran community. Uh, these are the two extremes you 're on. I took a man who was crippled and I made a man whole on the Sabbath, and you 're ticked off at me. Why? Because I broke your tradition. Folks, this whole section let me let me go on and close. <clears throat> Verse 30, it says, so they were seeking to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. God is keeping this from happening until it's the right time. Then look at this. Many of the crowd believed in him and said, when the Messiah comes, is he going to be able to do more signs than this one is doing? They literally go... Okay, that's it. He's the Messiah. Because when the Messiah comes, there's not going to be able to do more than what this man is doing, so he's got to be the Messiah. And so many people in that crowd began to believe in Yeshua that he truly was the Messiah. Now, what's going to happen is, because the cross hasn't happened yet, and people, we are fickle, And they're going to go back and forth, just like the 12 apostles. They're going to freak out. They're like, I don't get it. Peter's like, I'm going fishing. All all that stuff was happening uh, because they couldn't comprehend it. And they did not totally comprehend it until the gifting of the Holy Spirit, which happened uh, at the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, uh, after Yeshua's resurrected and, and ascended into heaven. So what do you think the takeaway is from this section of Scripture what is he trying to get us to see? I think the number one thing he's trying to get us to see is that we need to believe in him and trust in him and trust in the Torah that points to him over and above any tradition that you may have. I don't care who taught it to you. I don't care if I've taught it to you. If it contradicts the very word of God, you need to go with the word of God and you and I need to have as our motivating factor to glorify your father in heaven and to seek his glory above all else. Watch this. Your motivating factor will determine your actions. They will literally dictate your actions. You will become a slave to your motivating factors. There is no intellectual way around this. You you cannot work your way around this. You are enslaved to and governed by and dictated by your motivating foundational uh, belief system. That governs your life. If you truly believe something and it's a truth that you will not let go of, that will govern your life. It'll it'll determine how you treat your family members. It'll determine how you treat your wife. It'll determine how you treat your husband. It'll determine how you treat your kids. It'll determine how you treat the guy driving down the street. It'll govern how you treat your neighbor. It'll govern how you do everything. It'll govern what you look at On the internet or the TV, it'll govern what you read. It'll govern what you allow on your feed on Facebook. It'll govern all kinds of stuff in your life. It will literally dictate how you live your life. It will dictate it. And you are enslaved to it. You can't get out of it. Folks, this is is why people get addicted to something they can't get out of it. Why? It's because they don't understand the motivating factors in their lives that's governing it. If you understand and can say intellectually, Yeshua is God and he came and lived and died on the cross for my sins. He said that my goal in life and the number one thing in scripture is to love God the Father with all my, all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. The kids did the Shema, hear O Israel, Shema. Hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yehovah our Elohim is one. There is only one God and only one way. They did that. When Yeshua said, This is the greatest commandment in all of Scripture, the second one is like it love your neighbor as yourself. On that, and I've said it this way so many times hang all of the Torah. It hangs on it. So if you understand that Yeshua's God and he crossed eternity down the cross for you, the only thing you've got good is that. The faith that you have, God gave it to you. It's not because you're so smart or good-looking or whatever. It's because God was gracious to you because you're an idiot. And without God's grace, you'd be lost, like everything and everybody else. Number two, that he came here to tell us that we need to love his Father with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and desire to bring him glory and honor. And that help, that is what all of this is about. If you can say... I know that to be biblically, intellectually true. And then go once, if you can admit that, then go one step further and say, I want that to be my motivating factor for living. Then pray and ask God to make that happen in your life and it will happen. Folks, that's how you get set free from your junk. I'm looking at a room of people, and every single person in here, we've got our stuff. You got your pet peeve, you got that one thing you trip over every time you turn around, and you go, I, Lord, I did it again, right? There's only one way to lick that thing. You have that glorifying your Father as your motivating factor. Therefore, when that problem starts to arise, you can more easily say, I am not going there ever again. Because I know if I go there, I'm actually bringing shame on him because I've told everybody I belong to him. Do you see how that changes your whole mindset? That's why Yeshua said, if you have the desire to know the Father and to do his will, then you're going to know that my teaching's not for me you'll be able to easily accept it. But if you can't accept it, that's because you don't desire to know or to do his will. And these are the same people that says, you're not keeping the Torah. And the reason you're not keeping the Torah, you don't know the father. Therein lies the problem. And folks, this is why in the Christian churches today, it is so bad because 99.9% of the time when people come in and they hear a sermon, it's a self-help sermon. If you do these things in the scripture, then this is gonna solve your problem. Can I get a hallelujah, amen, somebody? Right? Instead, what we should be saying is we need to be We need to strive to do every single thing in our life, 24 hours a day, to bring glory and honor to my Father, because I represent my Father here. And when that becomes your motivating factor, all that other stuff starts to fade in the light of His glory. And you want to get closer, understanding that the closer I get, the more bad I feel about myself... But that's okay, I'm not going back in that slime pool one more time. So we need to trust in Yeshua and trust in his word over that of anybody. Folks, including me. That's why I'm gonna spend the rest of my life trying to teach anybody that'll listen Read your Bible, read it in context. Understand good hermeneutics. Let the scriptures interpret scriptures because folks, he's coming back. He's gonna come back soon, but before he gets here, it's gonna hit the fan and stuff's gonna splatter everywhere and people that don't know this word are gonna get caught up into that whirlpool and gonna get sucked down into that cesspool and not understand what's happening And I'm telling you, I firmly believe that the spirit of delusion has already been poured out. I really believe it. Nothing else can make sense. This isn't an American problem. This isn't just a left problem. This this is a global issue. And that even people that consider themselves conservative don't have a clue. Not a clue as to what's really going on. And up is down, in is out, out is in, black is white, white is black. <clears throat> we got people out preaching against um, white privilege, committing white privilege crimes in the colleges. The same people that support that junk, white people. Telling that the whites have privilege, spending their millions to get kids cheated into college, into colleges. Watch this—they don't even give pass and failing grades anymore. I was shocked when I found that out. You just kind of go, and get your degree, get a paper from some of these really high colleges. I got that from Alan Dershowitz, man—a guy that knows what he's talking about. This isn't just off some weird. I'm like, they do what? What? He's like, like, what in the world are we doing? So when I say it's getting bad and going to get worse, it's going to get worse. And we need to be trusting in our Bible, amen? But here's what's cool. We are learning how to read this where it actually makes sense so that when it happens, nobody in this room at least should be caught off guard or be surprised or even scared. Folks, if Jared Kushner ends up being the Antichrist, I said if. (laughs) If. And they start building the temple and all this stuff happening. Nobody in here should get scared. Nobody in this room should be scared. If they start coming and seizing our properties and kicking us out into the street and they start building the temple and all this stuff, everybody in this room ought to go, you know what that means? Greater Exodus is just about right around the corner. What that means is the clock started, we got maybe three and a half years, we're gonna be in heaven, or I mean, we're gonna, those of us that make it, we're gonna make it into Jerusalem, reign and rule with Christ, we're gonna be blessed because it says blessed are those that make it to the last day. It doesn't mean the last day after the millennial kingdom, it's talking about making it and surviving through that three and a half year period And seeing Yeshua come back and us being there with him, it says, we will be blessed. That's a blessing I want to fight for. That's a blessing I want to go, you know what? I want to totally understand this so that when that happens, I and at least those that know me are completely prepared and can make it to that point and we can say, It's because we trusted in God. We wanted to do his desire over our own. No matter what tradition says, this is where I want to be. And God would take us there and get us there safely. Are you kidding me? Would that not be cool? I think it would be awesome. I think it would be awesome. God loves you so much that he gave you his word so that you wouldn't be caught off guard. That's why Yeshua will get there later. He says, I'm telling you this now so that when it happens you you will understand